You're listening to The Whole Church Podcast. Our efforts to educate and unite the church are made possible thanks to our sponsors on Patreon. Please consider joining them for $3 a month at patreon.com forward slash The Whole Church Podcast. Luke 12, verses 49 through 53 read, I have come to cast fire upon the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo, and how distressed I am until it is accomplished. Do you think that I came to provide peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from on five members in one household will be divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son, and son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. That was Jesus Christ talking about how he came to divide Pastor Will, what is your take on this verse? Well, like all the all scripture, I feel like it's important to set it within its context. It's hard to take out just one paragraph or a few lines and then hold it about above itself. I think this point in Luke, uh, Jesus has been butting heads with the religious establishment of the day, the Pharisees, and then he's been sharing some some hard parables, um, hard for the disciples to wrap their head around, and at some point, the disciples keep asking questions, and I see a little bit of uh, a little edge to where Jesus is after a long day of teaching, and he's he's got, not that he's lashing out, but he's getting real with them, saying, listen, you know, um, what I've come to do is, is going to draw, um, hold up a mirror and make you face what your allegiances are and, and where do you stand. And, and I think it's in continuity with uh, his cousin, John the Baptist, similar kind of apocalyptic talk of came to bring fire. I came to bring repentance. I've, I've come for you um, to understand that what I'm saying has a sense of urgency and seriousness to it. But I do like that he is uh, focusing on like family units. He, he's not saying I've come to divide, um, you know, the world down the middle. He's not even talking, going hard on politics or even within religion. He's talking within family units. And so I think there's something there about that. And, and being a good Lutheran that I am, I, I think you can be a both and here. I think he can be Prince of Peace and someone who comes to divide. Um, I think you can be both at the same time. I think he is the Prince of Peace. And I think he also um, holds us accountable to where we lay our allegiances. Yeah. So this might be the uh, most division related episode of your favorite Unity podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So guys, buckle up for this. All right. So, guys, like we said, this is going to be your most divided episode of the whole church podcast. We're going to be talking about the evangelical and deconstruction movements in the church today, um, probably specifically looking in America, what that looks like. People are leaving evangelicalism. Does that mean they're leaving the faith? Does that just mean they're questioning things? We're going to discuss all that, whether or not this movement is healthy or heretical or whatever that's what today's episode is going to be about right and if you're here listening which i hope you are if you can hear this uh please <laughs> consider rating us on app podcast or spotify the most entertaining good review will get a personal visit from me and the most entertaining bad review will also get a personal visit from me that's so scary. get out there and <laughs> compete <laughs> oh man so uh like we said, we're talking about deconstructionism and the ex-evangelical movement. 
which is just from my understanding, this movement of people who are taking their faith, the tradition that they grew up with, questioning it. And a lot of people are leaving the evangelical church, staying Christian, but calling themselves ex-evangelical. We're going to be talking about these things probably separate, but also together. So buckle up. Today we have with us Brandon Knight of My Seminary Life. My understanding is that you have more Baptist tradition leaning. Is that correct? I mean this in all sincerity. I've deconstructed from that. <laughs> and But no, I grew up Baptist in all sincerity. I grew up Baptist. Um, go to a non-denominational church now, which is still Baptist. Yeah, uh, but I, I, if you want just some personal terminology, no one else on the planet identifies themselves this way, probably. But I, I refer to myself as a reformed existentialist. That's not a real thing, but that's just the terms that I find to fit best how I approach God. Awesome, awesome. And, uh, nice. We also have, as you guys probably or maybe remember these other two, hopefully you do, we have uh, Joe Day of Buddy Walk with Jesus. He is also a home church leader. Uh, do they need to know anything else about your background with the church before we move on, Joe? I predominantly come from a... Baptist and like Brandon said, non-denominational, so basically Reformed Baptist uh, background before entering into um, the home church scene in late 2019. Um, so a lot of the the flair that you will hear is coming from that sort of evangelical but rules-based background that that section has to offer. Yeah. We are also once again joined by Pastor Will Rose of Holy Trinity Lutheran Church in Chapel Hill. Uh, Pastor Will, do they need to know anything? Uh, you know, high liturgical, Lutheran, good fella? <laughs> right. I'm recording in my church office right now, so if you hear a phone beeping, it's because that's the background noise you're hearing. Yeah, I, um, I'm... I'm a Lutheran pastor. I've, I've been a lifelong Lutheran. I was baptized Lutheran as an infant, as a baby, and was confirmed in the Lutheran church. Uh, it was um, probably college, early college, that I started exploring other denominations and traditions and kind of uh, not church hopping, but I was campus ministry hopping at the University of North Carolina at Wilmington and trying to grow and try to figure out where I fit in and what I believed because I felt like I was kind of a hodgepodge of different theologies and, and wanted to find my own. You, I guess you could say I was... Uh, not necessarily deconstructing, but I was kind of um, thinking through and growing in my faith and in a way where I wanted to find my own style of who I am and, and what I believed. And so, but landed back in the Lutheran church as a place that where I felt home and belonged and where my, um, most of my theological beliefs fit uh, in, in with. Awesome. I'm your help. Well, one of your co-hosts, Joshua Knoll. I grew up Pentecostal. I am now kind of more leaning Lutheran as where I'm attending um, although I like the term reformed existentialist, I, I might join Brandon and this new movement. Pop we'll off. see. Um, <laughs> and I'm joined by your favorite co-host, the greatest co-host of all time for a church unity podcast. TJ Tiberius Juan Blackwell. I am Pentecostal. <laughs> that was the best yes. way to set that up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, hey, my favorite form of unity. I don't know if I guys if I told you guys this before, but uh, it's silliness. 
So we start every episode off with just a really goofy, silly question because, you know, it's actually, it's really hard to be divided when you're just being this darn goofy. So, silly question. If you had to replace the water in a water slide with any single food item, what would you choose? Me and TJ can go first if you guys need time to think about it. Uh, TJ. Is it liquid? Is it liquid or just food or both or either? You know, or we're pureed food, whatever. Um, I think I think TJ's okay with us leaving this open. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Just anything. Yeah. Anything, anything that counts as a food item. Which yeah. I, for function purposes, there's nothing that I hate more probably than, you know, hitting a dry spot on a water slide. It is yeah. awful. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I, I'm going to go with rice bran oil. Which is very oh. Chipotle specific. But I've say that's very specific. I've slipped on it, it sure enough is. to know there is no way you're rubbing against anything in that slide. Man, I you could wear cleats and slip on rice bran oil. I promise. <laughs> I had a few that I considered here, um, and I'm not going to go with what I think the best answer is because I want to leave leave it open in case one of you guys answer. I'm going to go with what I think is the worst of the answers I came up with. Because I think it's the most entertaining for me to visualize. Uh, store brand instant mashed potatoes. Yeah, that's what I'm going with. <laughs> Getting real specific here on everybody. Just funny visual for mashed me. Uh, Brandon, good. single food item to replace water in a water slide. Well, I'm, I guess I'll piggyback off of you, Josh, because when I was a kid, one of my favorite shows to watch on Nickelodeon was Double Dare 2000, and they always had the crazy obstacle course that you had to do at the end to win all the cool prizes. So I will say chocolate pudding, because it would remind me of watching Double Dare 2000, and also I could grab a snack. Yeah. yeah. All right, Joe. Single food item to replace water on a water slide. What do you got? Well, considering Brandon took my answer because of double dip, <laughs> I'm going to have to go with uh, Jello. I think that for okay. all the interesting standard. Yeah. All right, Will, bring us home. <laughs> okay, I think being the Lutheran. Uh, I think you think I'm going to say beer or IPA beer, but I'm not. I'm not going to go there. It, it would, but I think I love. Um, I'm gonna go just a just a hard turn that you guys don't expect. But I I love summer movies, and I love the movie theater, and I love popcorn, movie popcorn. So I'm gonna do movie popcorn, butter, and popcorn all together. That's what I'm doing. That's what I'm doing. Right. The whole thing. I hate the smell of popcorn so much it makes her nauseous that I actually included oh, wow. in my vow that I wouldn't pop popcorn while she was in the house. That may yeah. be a deal breaker for me. Like if Cindy said that, I'd be like, oh, "Sorry, bud, we can be friends, but that's about it." I was. It came close, but I was young and in love. I was standing there. <laughs> love will make you do crazy. I, I was standing like four feet away from Josh, and I was like, "Why would you say that? <laughs> <laughs> Why would you commit to that? You didn't have to put that's that right. in there. She wouldn't it have known you left it out. Humorous. <laughs> it was hilarious. Um, but. <laughs> But anyway, oh, man. But I, what I would have said, the, what I thought the best answer was, really, would have been either like some form of ice cream or frozen yogurt. Yes, you'd be sticky, but you usually do water slides during the summer, and there's something about that really cold item combined with the heat sounds fantastic. 
I disagree. No. Honorable mention to lasagna. That's funny to me. But before we get into the real show, <laughs> whole lasagna instead of water. Whole lasagna. <laughs> Best answer. But before we get into the real show, uh, we wanted to read a few quotes from prominent church leaders uh, who have spoken about these movements. And depending on the way you think about the term prominent church leader, our first quote here might upset you, but we have uh, John Cooper from Skillet, the front man for Skillet. Uh, he said, it is time that we declare war against these this deconstruction Christian movement. I don't even like calling it deconstruction Christian. There is nothing Christian about it. It is a false religion. Very aggressive, Mr. Cooper. Please be on our show. And then uh, we had someone who's actually been on the show before, Matt Chandler, on this topic said, You and I are in a day and age where deconstruction and the turning away from and leaving the faith has become some sort of sexy thing to do. I contend that if you ever experience the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ actually, that that's really impossible to deconstruct from. The great Matt Chandler. And then from another prominent podcast guest we had uh, dr russell moore said the question is not whether we will deconstruct but what we will deconstruct will it be the wood hay and stubble that is destined to burn up and burn out or will it be our own souls sometimes the people we think are deconstructing are just grieving and asking god where he is at a moment like this yeah yeah so some big heavy quotes there um and I, and I did some research on where Matt Chandler and John Cooper, how they define the term. I think Matt Chandler understands the term differently than probably most of our guests here today do. Um, John Cooper understands it and just thinks it's generally bad because most people he knows who's done it have left the faith. So that's a uh, that's something he has his own podcast. You can actually check out his own entire hour long rant on the topic, criticizing <laughs> Phil Vischer, the creator of Veggie Tales, for being pro deconstruction. So that's interesting. Um, Whoa, guys. Could could you guys just help us uh -oh. out? And go ahead and he woke Brandon up. Brandon's like, uh oh, now we're now we're talking. Well, now that we dropped those bombs, uh, could you guys tell us uh, what what even is this? What does it mean to deconstruction exvangelical? What what are these movements? What does it mean? Give us some understanding if you can. Um, Will, do you want to go first on this one? Sure. Um, yeah, I I think it's all in the tone. Of, I, I definitely understand all of those quotes and, and where they're coming from because it's kind of like. You know, um, I think we all go through stages of faith, of growth and evolution. I'm definitely at 49 years old in a different place in my face that faith than I was when I was 20 years old. And so there's a natural progression of having a childlike faith and getting to your teenage angsty years and then your 20 somethings and then you grow and um what what that looks like i mean some of these may be like angsty teenagers who slam in their door saying dad you don't understand me i don't i hate you slam the door or they may be like having some obviously authentic uh questions about what their faith means and way the the framework i like to think of it as is um one of my favorite authors and i heard her speak before she passed away was is phyllis tickle and she is a sociologist and a christian um who wrote a book called uh, the great emergence how Christianity is changing. And basically she, she said in this book uh, that every 500 years, the church goes through a theological yard sale and it, and it gets rid of the things it doesn't feel like it needs. And it keeps the things that feel like it does. And if you look through church history, whether it's 500 AD, 1000 AD, 
obviously the 1500s, and now we're in the 2000s. Every 500 years, you can track this kind of deconstructing Reformation movement that happens within the church. And being a Lutheran, I identify with that as as Martin Luther's kind of up there as one of the big deconstruction reformers within the church. But I think I think that's a healthy way to look at it, to look at it as kind of a theological yard sale to say, what is it that's helpful? What is not? What do we need to get rid of? And what's essential uh, to our faith today? Um, I have more what I think about kind of the reaction of the evangelical movement's um, posture towards it. But, but that's kind of what comes to mind at the moment. Uh, Joe, what is deconstruction? What is the ex-evangelical movement? What are we even talking about? When you have something like a personal faith, it's it's going to have different things that need to come and go, and there's going to be growth, and there's going to be a process to it all. Now, part of that, and some of us here on the show, I'm sure, could tell our own stories of needing to prune out the stuff that was that was poured into us from a young age or what have you that just is 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 some of that wood hay and stubble that needs to go and when you when you talk about that form of deconstruction then suddenly what will said makes a lot more sense that you when you look at the historical pattern of it it would stand to you have periods of time where some of that wood hay and stubble is accumulated and then you have periods of time where that gets washed out. And then what's left is the stuff that was previously or the stuff that has hung on because it's new advancements or it's a different way of thinking about something. And it's something positive of the whole thing. Now, in all of that, you that, that hinges on two things. One, that you're deconstructing authenticity. And like the the truth of it all, or that you're willing to accept the fact that you're deconstructing out of something that was never real in the first place. You know, will to to go to something. I was just listening to another one of your SG episodes, and you you use this analogy of being atheistic towards a certain archetype of what some people think of God of the angry guy up in the clouds and all of those kinds of things. I resonate with that because coming from my context, I have heard some out-of-pocket stuff about God and about Jesus and about what it means to be a Christian and all of those kinds of things. So when you talk about this movement of deconstructionism, A, to sum up what I said, there's nothing new under the sun, but B... <laughs> We need to be, there's a layer in all of this that is healthy when you consider the fact that you are moving away from and questioning and poking and prodding yourself and what you believe and all of those kinds of things. It's everything else that's surrounded around it that kind of determines whether or not what you're talking about is something that results in something positive or results in something negative, but this process of moving away from something and towards something else and evaluating and taking personal inventory, that's vital to 
the human experience. That's intrinsic to the human experience. So the fact that this is happening in Christian circles as well shouldn't be anything that's this big shock and awe moment that some of the quotes that you gave would would imply. And and again, like like Will said, I I have more to add when it comes to evaluating the posture of the response to all of this. But at a base level of what is, that's those are my initial thoughts. So Brandon, uh are you just gonna agree with everybody else or how how do you understand deconstruction and the exvangelical movement? Um well, first off, I guess I should say this because this is my first time here. Thanks for finally having me over here on Whole Church. Appreciate you too. This uh, is for those best. listening. He's our third co-host. Uh, he's joining me and TJ every week. He just doesn't know it yet. All right, proceed. <laughs> <laughs> Same with Buddy Walk. Anyway, uh, um, <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. So, first off, I'm glad you had the John Cooper quote because that's actually a very recent uh, comment that he made and. You know, I'm an entitled fan, I guess, but just as someone who really likes the music, I'm very disappointed that this is his position mm-hmm. on deconstructing exvangelicalism. Um, like, I get it. I get where he's at. I understand his uh, position on it, but it is really disappointing to me because as it's already been stated, this is a pattern. This is a thing that has been happening since 1517, if not longer. And Really, it, I alluded to this back at the beginning when I did my short intro. I really think, uh, to borrow Matt Chandler here, it wasn't sexy, but it was. I, I went through this process back when I was in college. This was the first time yeah. I was outside of the Baptist bubble and was experiencing Christianity from a whole host of different perspectives and denominations. And I, I'm a biblical studies student. I'm currently in seminary working on a master's of of arts. And so this, these type of questions should be encouraged of why and how, and what are we doing here? Yes, this is an education system. And so we are going to teach you things, but you know, I'm sure guys like pastor will and anyone else listening to this who has gone through higher education in Christian circles have had to ask these questions of themselves of what do I believe? Do I actually believe what the professor is teaching me, teaching me? Do I believe what my pastor has taught me for all these years and actually have to own their faith for themselves? And that is in part what is going on here with deconstructing and exvangelicalism. Yes, it gets all very nuancy, which I'm assuming is the next direction that we're going to take with this, but without, Without oversimplifying, at its base core, this is merely people trying to understand what they believe about God. And it goes in a thousand different directions, just like how our faith has gone in a thousand different directions, Mr. Whole Church Podcast. But <laughs> that those are my opening statements. I'll just stop there. Yeah. <laughs> I um. So with the, with the John Cooper thing, because it, it was fascinating, I, I do recommend people trying to find that episode. I don't know the name of it, where he's criticizing Phil Vischer's take on deconstructionism and kind of talking about where he gets his stuff from. Um, and he talks about the girl from Zoe Girl, where she got her stuff for be, being anti-deconstruction. Anyway, did he did he trash Kevin Max as well? Because everybody hates Kevin well, Max. He was now. he was with Zoe Girl because Zoe Girl also is like oh, okay. anti-deconstruction. Anyway, um, oh, oh okay, but. 
and, and this is an interesting thing that uh, I, I knew this conversation wasn't going to get off the rails. That's why I called it a roundtable. So here we go. Um, <laughs> and, and I'm going to have to throw some questions to TJ specifically. Um, but first, I, I want to say part of their understanding that, that, that I found fascinating. It was very much the same problem I had with a lot of the church's take on the Black Lives Matters movement was his understanding was going back to the first person who coined deconstructionism, what they meant and what was going on there. And like technically good research, but that is not what people are talking about when they talk about deconstruction. And I think a lot of that happened with the black lives matter movement too, where a lot of the church was looking into this website and the official organization and be like, Oh, we hate that. But that is not what a lot of the people were talking about when they said that they were just saying, Hey, we want everyone to be treated well. And the church does a lot of, harping on something's origins or a website or a specific thing. And I think sometimes we miss what the actual conversation is. Does that? Yeah. And I think like, like Martin Luther said some horrible things about, about people who are Jewish yeah. and like, I, we don't claim that. Um, uh, he not, he's not perfect. He's not a saint. He He's a theologian, biblical scholar and a reformer, but, but we, we will not say that he's, he's perfect. And I think you can say that there's uh, saints and patriarchs and matriarchs along the way who have said things that we're like, nope, I don't agree what they say about when they talk about women or they talk about sex or they talk about um, the nature of Christ or whatever, but there's other things that they contribute to the life of the church. And so um, I, I think creating a straw man just in order to tear it down and not looking at the nuance aspect of it, I think is, is really kind of that defensive posture that, that really does divide and doesn't lend itself to, to listening and, and healing and understanding when it comes to uh, these movements that happen within and beyond the church. Yeah. And a lot of it is people exist in these bubbles where where listening to John Cooper specifically was fascinating where though mm. when people talk about deconstruction, they mean this thing about leaving the faith and whenever, and I, I genuinely hearing his words, I genuinely think that in his circle, the only time people talk about deconstructionism is when they're talking about people who left the faith. Like, I think that's mm. genuinely all he's experienced. And then we talk as though that's what everyone means. Joe, you have something. Well, that's, that's the trend, right? And it's kind of, it's kind of like the, the term that's thrown out there, the progressive church. Now, depending on who's saying it and who you're saying it to, that can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And the idea, the idea is that, you know, there are some people that say that they are part of the progressive church just by virtue of moving away from things like high liturgy or things like a more regimented service or different things like that. I've heard it used from everything from non-denominational to house church to Pentecostal and so on. And so this whole idea of being more progressive in that way down to this current iteration of um, a lot of new agey sort of way of thinking in that aspect of it, of, you know, these, they call themselves progressive pastors that are popping up that are, you know, taking two different platforms to say things like Jesus was racist or, you know, <laughs> Jesus isn't really the son of God, D different, different random things that have popped up along, uh, along the way from, from these groups. So, Depending on who you ask, you hit the nail directly on the head that the boogeyman for a lot of people in Christian circles right now is deconstructionism, because when they think deconstructionism, they think 
This is the process of somebody systematically walking away from Christianity. When in all actuality, most of the time, if you look at these deconstruction stories, a lot of times it's they start the process very quickly after starting the process. They realized what they believed in the first place wasn't the actual gospel message or they don't realize that. And if you listen to it, you're like, well, wait a minute. I was listening to uh, <laughs> Good Mythical Morning, their deconstruction story and and all that. And I'm like, huh, I have five minutes in and I'm like, you didn't you were you were fed Baptist rhetoric. You weren't fed you weren't fed the gospel. You heard the story, you didn't understand this the the story. You know what I mean? And unfortunately it should break your heart that when you hear a lot of this, that's that's the pattern. Right? So when people like the um Elisa Childers, the 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 Christian the, the former Christian musician who has a YouTube show and John Cooper did this basically the same quote and interview, but on her show. And, and, you know, this whole pocket of Christian, they tend to call themselves Christian apologists. As a Christian apologist, I tend to separate myself <laughs> from that version of Christian apology because that's not, that's not embracing the science of it. That's just making arguments on YouTube, but that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> um, but but for that genre of people, yeah, exactly. Like you, you hear deconstructionism, and that's what it means. So I would reckon to say, not not without knowing and truly understanding your audience, I would reckon to say that there may be an increased number of people who listen to this. That the second that we hear about that they hear the word deconstruction thrown out there, that's the idea. That's the first thing that comes into it comes into their mind without fully understanding all of the nuance of the history behind the fact that you can point back to some very significant names and for their time they were deconstructed. They just happened to deconstruct into truth or into a reformed version of the truth. Brandon, you wanted to add something? Yeah. So first off, go back to what you were originally asking there, Josh. Um, humans are reactionary. We prefer not to sit and think about something. And I'm not talking about just the church, although the church is not exempt from this, but just humans mm -hmm. in general, we're reactionary. We've been given a very powerful tool. We all have one in our pocket or in our hand with our cell phones, with a thousand different <laughs> platforms that we can immediately go and respond to a thing, mm -hmm. whatever it is. We've been seeing this now for the past two years of just people responding to climactic events immediately <laughs> rather <laughs> than sitting and reflecting and learning. And I'm, I'm not good at that either. 2020 was a learning experience for me. But if all, <laughs> if anything, Josh, it's a good sign from you and TJ that you guys have taken the time to get to the deconstructing conversation a couple years into this now. Like the deconstructing mm -hmm. trend has been going on for at least five years now. This is not a brand new conversation. And by trend, I mean using the words, the exvangelical, the blah, blah, blah. Um, Trying to piggyback a little bit off of Joe, you had a lot of good things to say there, but just looking at you're looking at these stories, you know, John Cooper, I know you're a big fan of whole church. So just I just want you to hear this part. 
that my wife's best friend and her husband did full deconstruction, not just like me, where I took a part of my faith and said, this part isn't really for me anymore. They went through the whole process and it was not because they came, they spent too much time on exvangelical TikTok or <laughs> read a very, quote, liberal, progressive theology book. It is for two reasons. One, she was very greatly hurt by the purity culture movement of the 90s and early 2000s, which is a very common theme among deconstructing people. And second, they read systematic theology by wayne grudem this is the book that everybody is encouraged to read this isn't some alt-right alt-left agenda book wayne grudem states very clearly mm. in the preface that yes he will make his perspective known but as someone who had to very recently read the book for class mm -hmm. he presents everything pretty evenly like here's all the perspectives and this was the first time that they sat down and got to see all the perspectives and realized I don't agree with what I grew up on. Yeah. I, um, it's interesting. I also just went through systematic ecology by Wayne Grudem. The only thing I, I think he's theology too. He's too. What did I say? Geekology. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you did. I can't, I've done it I for the past semester. I say, yeah. I say that way too many times, but, uh, I, I do think he, he leans too complimentarian for me. Like that's the only thing okay. where I'm like, you're very obviously showing your cards here, but the rest of it, I'm like, even the stuff that I thought that he'd be very anti-charismatic movement, he kind of remained sort of neutral. That I was like, oh, that's nice. Yes. Will, you you wanted to add something. Yeah, I, Brian, I, I appreciate you sharing that story um, because, you know, it's I don't think it's deconstruction necessarily equates um, you're leaving Christianity. You're, you're leaving a brand of Christianity. Um, and, and, you know, the early church, the, the, the scriptures hold within it, not like one version of the church or version of Christianity. There, there's uh, a few churches, there's a few Christianities and they're all trying to figure out how to get along. That's why Peter and Paul and everyone's, um, sharing these analogies of, of the body and the many parts of the body and what do we agree on and what do we not agree on and what you're doing with, with your podcast. And I think it's, it's important to Deconstruction, I associate it with kind of subverting power systems. And a lot of times these power systems um, are abusive, are um, all about shaming or purity culture. And people are like, nope, I don't want to be a part of that. So I think people, these these stats and the, uh, the, the articles that come out every other year or so that you know, organized religion is just bleeding members and people mm -hmm. are leaving organized religion. And I think that has to do with people associate organized religion and, and evangelical Christianity with um, kind of corrupt power systems mm -hmm. and they don't want to be a part anymore. So they're looking for a different version or a different understanding of the gospel when it comes to Jesus. They don't have a problem with Jesus. They have a problem with those who are propped up in this kind of supremacy culture or holier than thou culture to say like, Hey, we're the good guys and we're the only ones on the block. And you interviewed the person who, wrote Jesus and John Wayne. And that's exactly what she's talking about. Is that kind of supremacy culture, a power system that's corrupt and didn't, didn't what that, what Jesus was about. I mean, yeah, he had continuity with his own faith of, of Jewish faith of the Hebrew faith, his tribe, but, but he was pushing back against a power system that, that was abusive and uh, against those, um, those who are in the religious establishment who were uh, abusing its people. I had a, Okay, Joe, go ahead. <laughs> well, to, to to continue on that thread that that Brendan and, and Will uh, 
put forward. Like you, you can look at even into well into the Old Testament to versions of humans taking this, taking the taking power, taking influence, taking their ability to maneuver and subjugating somebody else at the hand of it. That happens, that's happened time and memoriam. And to Brandon and Will's point, at the heart of this thing, you tend to have people that have been hurt in some way. Now, our generation, meaning most of Josh, Brandon, and I's generation here, we are we are very much the generation that saw a really big push for purity and the purity culture and all of those kinds of things. Not to say that there weren't versions before and after, but that was a big deal for for our generation. And and that kind of abuse of power was a big thing. But the reality is, if you look at a lot of, I, I'll say predominantly small churches, but we've seen prime examples of this happening in large churches as well, where it's generally about one person. They're the face. It's their way or the highway. Some kind of use of the station that they have to negatively impact somebody else. And that's why I make it a point to, you know, if you listen, stop just before you get to let's rage and let's war and let's fight back against this and let's push the, just stop and listen to the words that are coming out of the person's mouth. You will very quickly hear that. Wait a minute. This is not about the trend. This is not about the label of deconstructing. This is about a hurt person that has been going through something or or is going through something or was taught something false or something that's these that's the nuance part where it's going to look different to that person's that that person's experience but if you stop and you listen generally speaking it has nothing to do with where you started and has everything to do with this hurt over here or this confusion over here or this lack of having somebody come alongside them and explain what do they believe and why do they believe it. That That is the source of what is happening in application. Yeah, and I, I'll just share, too, like, in terms of, like, those in power and privilege, um, usually the response of pushback, uh, they see it as, as very threatening to their power and their privilege. And so, of course, their defensive response would be to, go against i saw a meme the other day and i'll be real short with this i saw a meme that had like a uh, prayer the person praying and it said like lord bring revival and healing and reform and then god answers the prayer by exposing corruption and abuse in the church and then the person praying was like oh the enemy's against us the enemy's going against us and it's kind of like okay what, what's really going on here and that's not to say that like all like good intentions with purity culture, how to remain faithful and be good stewards of our bodies and sexuality and all those things. But I think there is something here that the tension on the line between um, power systems, corruption, uh, feeling threatened by pushback on power and privilege. So a couple quick questions before we move ahead to TJ's part of all this. 
Uh, one, we keep talking about purity culture. I think a lot of people listening, a lot of people in the church, when they hear that, what they actually think it is, is the idea that our culture says that you shouldn't have sex before marriage. But that's in the Bible. So why could we be against purity culture? Someone want to talk about what purity culture is and why we're like <laughs> it's a whole nother episode it's hard to be a soundbite with that but yeah i think it's connected intimately with this deconstruction and ex-evangelical movement but uh yeah i don't know if you could do it in a sentence or two but i'll let somebody else i think and i think so brandon, brandon has something i saw it on his face <laughs> man <laughs> So since 1940 something after World War II, the rise of liberal theology in the church, the evangelical church does what the evangelical church always does and overcorrected. And this is where you get the for all of you listening and for you guys, if you've ever heard this, the phrase, if the plain sense makes good sense, seek no other sense. And it was just the plain reading of scripture. That is fine. That is okay. But the problem is, is that it became a snowball snowball that rolled out of control since then until whatever it is, 2022. Some of those things that came out of that were issues like purity culture, like you never question what the pastor has to say, like Christian nationalism, like biblical illiteracy. Basically, all of the problems that we have today in the church is because of one attempt to do something right because this is like hardcore liberal theology that was on the rise back in 1940 like we're ripping apart the bible taking out all the parts that we don't like it was an overcorrection that went unchecked and now the snowball is huge one of those is purity culture which was this really popular thing later late 80s to like the early 2000s that yes josh the Bible does say that we should not have sex before marriage and that there's other nuancy things to that. However, right, man, that's an episode. <laughs> <Sorry. done. laughs> However, purity culture's emphasis was not on just trying to not have sex before marriage and encouraging teens to live that way. It was weighted that your personal worth depended on you staying a virgin. And that's where a lot of the personal hurt from purity culture comes into play is that if you if you slept with somebody before marriage why would god want you i think oh, a very popular one on tiktok i'm on tiktok one of the very popular ones that people like to talk about <laughs> is this example of the rose metaphor have you seen the rose metaphor where the audience is given a rose and everybody passes it around and by the time it gets back to the stage the rose is no longer beautiful it's all ruffled up because everyone has touched it and the speaker goes who would want this rose and your purity and self-worth is compared to this rose that's disgusting that was a thing yeah, that and was i would going say it's on. also weighted patriarch is very patriarchal that was that, the, that it's like weighted towards male yes. uh dominance and abuse and so it's it leans heavy against um females and women uh, and their sexuality than than with males and so that i think that's also a pushback that needs to happen. I, I wouldn't even go so in depth with it i would just say that's the corniest thing i've ever heard that is so lame <laughs> oh it's bad it's bad but yes pastor will you're you are correct basically for guys and josh i guess if this is too x-rated edit it for guys it was basically you know don't watch porn keep it in your pants but for girls it got very legalistic of all of these boxes that you have to check in order to present yourself as, quote, pure. 
And this is where like true love waits and all those cheesy Christian movies about waiting for the perfect guy to come, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, I um... Joe. <laughs> Okay. Sorry, I'm so used to hosting <laughs> things. What am I doing? <laughs> I'm not Man, used I thought to being it was my turn. <laughs> Go ahead, Joe. Um, and, and to piggyback off of uh, off of that, only being slightly older than Brandon, I, I can tell you honestly, at this stage in life, and doing doing where I'm at right now in ministry, and the people that I've been that I that have been put in my path, if it is a woman who has been deconstructing and has attended and, and in, in a way that is very heavy on fighting back against the patriarchy of it all and things like that. In every single example that has, that has come across my path, there has been a connection between that and church hurt that they um, experienced. And it, most of those instances, Sands one or two, have have doubled back to be that them being a, a victim of of purity culture and that whole idea of worth and and holding back that idea of redemption or simply overstating the worth the the impact of worth towards women so that that is and and i think that that that's kind of its own self-created snowball that that you know this was started and this is a problem to begin with and is just becoming a bigger and bigger problem because for the people that have experienced this this is really the only experience base that they have with what christianity looks like in the first place and it seems like a tangent, but it is intimately connected with it. So I know we kind of got, went off to the side a little bit, but I but I think that is a a, a deep part and a root of, of what's going on here. So yeah. Joshua TJ, go on with with what I will have the final <laughs> say on this topic, and then we will move yeah, on to pass the first question. Um, <laughs> we got yeah. ten more questions. Yeah, 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 guys. It's fine. Guys. Hang in there. Um, I, I want to say uh, for for my understanding of purity culture, which was not something I thought we were going to talk about today. Um, a lot of stuff that I witnessed in the church was stuff like don't hold hands was like, hey, make sure you're extra clothed. Interpreting Proverbs 31 really, really badly to say that it means to dress well so that you don't look promiscuous to men. Um, and the, the problem isn't, yes, we should try to preserve virginity towards marriage to the best of your ability. I'm, I'm okay with that. That is something that I'm like, yep, that's Biblically, I think that's accurate. The problem then comes when you're adding all these other rules. And that's what the Pharisees right. did. That's what Jesus got so mad about is they came up with all these other rules so that you wouldn't break the main rules. And then we made those rules just as important. And that's right. where I think there's these really odd stuff that pops up in the church that just isn't okay. And you get all of that. And then you get pastors who will read stuff about David and how on his deathbed bed, he was like, let me have a virgin in bed with me. And we're all just like, yep, we'll just read that and move on. Like, that's not a big thing to talk about at all. Anyway. Um, yeah. So, so before, before we move past the first question, clear definition, whoever thinks they could do it the clearest and shortest, what is an ex-evangelical? We talked a lot about deconstruction. But. I will say just real quick. Uh, because of that, in our specific church, 
Uh, we know several people who did not kiss their spouse until their wedding day. At all. They were yeah, really hard impressive. up about it. That's and impressive because, like, I like how Westlife. You... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It could be a sweet romantic thing, or it could be disastrous. But anyway. <laughs> Brandon. Quick definition of exvangelical. Exvangelical is somebody who has deconstructed, reconstructed their faith, does not want to be identified with evangelicalism any longer, was an evangelical, and now calls himself an exvangelical because they're not a part yeah. of that anymore. Yeah. Usually they're still Christians. There are some people who yeah. just stop being Christian altogether and call themselves exvangelical. Um, yeah. Michael Gunger and the liturgist would be a good example of that. Yeah. A lot of people have left the faith altogether in the last few years, or have, we've seen pastors just completely meet demise from sin and different stuff. And some people are interpreting this movement and those things going on at the same time as this is the end of Christianity. Pastor Will, real quick, is this the end of Christianity? I'll answer that really quickly. No. All right. Now, something Brandon mentioned at the very outset of this first question was <laughs> he was talking about how a lot of people, especially who have to get educated in the church and all that stuff, deconstruct their faith to rebuild it back. And it's really hard not to when you're facing some of these deeper questions. I almost said that I think anyone who remains a Christian for any extended period of time have to go through that. I remember for me myself, there was a point and it wasn't I'm deconstructing so I can become a better Christian. It was a I wanted to not believe in God. So I did my best to read the Bible over and over and over. I was like, I'm going to prove this thing wrong so that I can leave this. I wanted to deconstruct to leave it completely. I vaguely remember. And I simply could not. I, I mean, I, I found things that were inconsistent. I found things that I thought were contradictions. But I'm not the kind of person who says, oh, I found it. That's it. I have to do research to make sure this is absolutely a contradiction, absolutely false. And that's when I learned all the stuff about hermeneutics and got really into that. And now I'm like, well... Dang, this thing's just true. That stinks. <laughs> and then I got owned. I got owned by a 2,000-year-old piece of literature. I sure did. <laughs> that was that was my experience deconstructing. I was trying to deconstruct to leave the faith and didn't work out. Um, so, But the reason I don't think I could say that is because I was thinking and I was like, hmm. And my first thought was... I should ask TJ. I don't know if he's ever deconstructed because like as long as I've known him and I've known him since he was younger than he can remember because I was his cabin leader at one point at a church camp. Nice. It's true. I don't ever remember him leaving the faith or trying to leave the faith. TJ, have you ever had any kind of moment like this or is this you've just always been a good Christian folk? I am Pentecostal. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, uh, there, there you guys have it. Um, if you have a good enough cabin leader at a church camp, you'll never have to deconstruct. That's it's what I true. That's probably yeah. true. <laughs> yeah, Even if that cabin mean. leader tries to deconstruct to get out of the faith. Even so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I deconstructed for both of us. I did it so hard he didn't have to. <laughs> That's right. But if you have a bad enough cabin can't leader, it out. <laughs> you know, we'll probably deconstruct immediately. But yeah. so is there and should there be a path forward where those leaving evangelicalism and those staying with it can maintain Christian unity together. Will, what do you think? Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, I think I, 
I mean, I'm just of the Christian persuasion that that you you never close a door on anybody. That you you leave the room open for dialogue at the table and listening, kind of that pastoral approach of like, let me hear your story. I'm going to walk with you, and we all go through different stages of of life and faith. I can I, I think you can hear people even in Scripture over different in different books and times going through hard rough spots where they're doubting or have their dark night of the soul and 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 who knows what how you react to them how you take care of them and love them is going to make a difference down the road and and how they understand faith and how they understand god so yeah i think there is a way path i think this kind of shame shaming i'm going to excommunicate you I'm going to, you know, my Twitter account's better than your Twitter account. My podcast is bigger than your podcast. I think um, that's not, those are not the games that Jesus played. And so I refuse to play those as well. If we're basing this off disagree? of the biggest podcast, then I, I lose. <laughs> uh, yeah. Jesus said the first to be last, the last to be first, y'all. It's biblical. Yeah, not so, yet, though. <laughs> so, Brandon, can we have church unity with John Cooper still? As people who have deconstructed. I mean, well, I mean, the real question would be if John Cooper would want that. Um, I cannot speak on behalf of Mr. Cooper <laughs> at this time. Uh, anyway, but the reality of the situation is we've got five different people who really come from five different church backgrounds. TJ's Pentecostal. I'm not. If we can all sit down and start talking about all these different baptism, communion, sanctification, glorification, and times. You know, we could just run the gamut and we're going to disagree. Yeah. So you're okay having unity with someone who is against deconstruction? Am I okay with having unity with someone who's against deconstruction? That would be... So you got to look at... This is the other problem is that we don't have any tears when it comes... Not tears, <laughs> like crying, but tears like pillars when it comes to our theology we don't have oh, yes we anymore. do do we <laughs> this is the old church podcast we so. talk in tears every week yeah good we have the tears yeah good yeah good Brandon, why don't you listen a, a lot of people don't because a lot of people don't listen to your show and don't have this idea oh, yeah. that we Those don't hold everything in the same clenched fist that there are some things that are worth holding on to and dying on the hill about primarily Jesus as Savior. If we can at least get over that hurdle, we can start walking through all the other things that we're going to disagree on. But some of those things further down the road, these other hurdles, these other tiers, the second tier, third tier issues, it, it's okay if we disagree on these things. We can still work together. We can still have unity over these things. So if someone who is very, you know, if John Cooper called me up and said, hey, I want to be on your show, Brandon, I would be like, Sure, why not? Let's <laughs> talk about so comatose. Let's talk about some of that music, man. Yeah. But um <laughs> I at the same time though don't think that it's right that, you know, I I guess all of my bashing of John Cooper has been more tongue in cheek. I do not dislike John Cooper. But people who are very hardcore deconstructing or very hardcore against deconstructing they're going to be anti the other group and that's not okay. That's tribalism. Stop being so tribal. And I think you can, you can disagree with someone's behavior and reaction and still love them and want what's best for them. I mean, I have 
uh, a couple kids in my house. There have been times when I disagree with how they behave or how they react to something, but they're still under my roof and we're still one family. Mm-hmm. And so I think, yeah, he's within the family tree of Christianity and those who who desire to follow Jesus faithfully. But I'm going to disagree with with his behavior and his posture towards this issue because I feel like it's more harmful than it does good. So, um, yeah, and there are times when 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 I'm disappointed with those in my own family and my some of my best friends of their behavior or how they act, but it doesn't change my my heart for them and and my my prayer and and wish for well being um, yeah. of their soul and, and life. So, so Joe. Can evangelicals and ex-evangelicals get along in Christian unity? <laughs> yeah, to bring to bring home this whole thread here, you know, again, a lot of times it's not even a matter of we, – we as humans love to put labels on everything that we can put a label on. And so – this whole idea of being X anything, it's its more the idea that they're X whatever it is that they walked out of than they are X evangelical per se. But when you have somebody who is essentially saying, if we're, if we're taking this phrase at its absolute core meaning of I am stepping out of a context that says I'm going to you know, street preach or, or minister to people or be vocal about this, that I'm just going to live my Christian walk. The further that I get down this whole road of ministry and teaching and all of those kinds of things, the, more I, the, the closer I get to this idea that that whole idea of evangelizing is going to look different for different people. They're position and posture and temperament and all of these things make up how these different aspects are going to present in a person's life anyway. So accepting where they're at is exactly the name of the game. And just because they're saying I'm stepping out of this context into this other context does not mean that suddenly they are some kind of heretic. Or that some, suddenly they're some kind of sinful creature. We're all sinful creatures. So as we double down on these labels, we need to take a step back and, and, and realize that there are only some labels that matter in the first place. And those are the labels that should dictate more about how it is that we operate and how it is that we treat each other and different things like that. Like I said, if we stop and listen before we go reacting based off of a label, we'll learn a great deal more about the person that we're talking to than if we just say, okay, I am such and such. I am a Pentecostal. I am a Lutheran pastor. I am a traveling preacher. I am a fourth year uh, biblical study student. And for me, I, I am a home church leader or I am a grace guy or whatever. We can all have those, those labels, but all, every single one of those labels falls secondary to citizen of the kingdom of God, to disciple of Jesus, to Christian, you know? 
Yeah. Our other show, Systematic Geekology, all of us are on that. And uh, this year we're talking about C.S. Lewis. And in his book, Screwtape Letters, um, he's writing from the perspective of a demon who's trying to pull people away from the faith, pull his the person he's tempting away from the faith. And he's writing letters on how to best do that. And one thing he talks about is get them to become Christian ants, where it's not just their Christianity, but it's Christianity and deconstructing Christianity. And I don't like people who deconstruct or Christianity and the war or, and against the war and whatever, so that it's not about being Christian anymore. Right. And that is just one of those things that stuck with me and really impacted how I walked through this thing that I call my faith. Pastor Will, you had a resource you wanted to share? Yeah, I I do have some some friends of mine that actually set up a website called SoYou'reDeconstructing.com. SoYou'reDeconstructing.com. And it's it's kind of as a resource for those who are deconstructing, who need, uh, whether they've been abused or hurt or really wrestling with their faith, um, very therapeutic um, and pastoral approach to it. Um, and so if you're out there and you're already constructing and you want some extra help and want to hear what other people's stories are, I think it's a helpful resource and a website that you can go to. Yeah. Yeah. They spent the money on the top level URL. You should check it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. Um, you guys all agreed that we can have Christian unity with people who either are deconstructing or are against deconstructing as long as we agree on the Christian part. So what we like to do before we get to our wrap up on this show we always like to ask one practical thing that our listeners can do something tangible they could leave this episode and go do this it'll help bring greater unity to the church what do you think it would be is there something practical that people can do pastor will um a practical thing i i think just a posture of of having a listening ear i know it's it sounds like probably too simplistic, but I think listening to people's stories and understanding them, maybe that's just my, the pastor within me and the pastoral approach of, of just sitting down and having coffee and going, tell me your story. I'm not going to shame you. I'm not going to tell you what you experienced um, is, is completely heretical. I, I, I'm going to just listen to what you have to say and, and be there with you through this and, and see how my story, my experience, and maybe my approach to, to God, um, uh, can help you in, in your journey. So um, that that would be my tangible thing. Have coffee with somebody who's wrestling with their faith or, or deconstructing or, or feel like they can't align itself with a certain brand of Christianity and, and just listen, listen to their story without trying to fix them, without trying to fix them. Right. Uh, Joe, do you have a single tangible action to help maintain unity in the church regarding deconstruction? Yeah. Uh, to to build off of what, what Will said, you know, when you listen, have authentic conversation. You know, I think sometimes we step forward in the conversation of, I'm going to give you the remedy. I'm going to tell you how to get through this situation or get over this situation, or I'm going to fix your problem. And I think if we stop, like Will said, listen first and foremost and then just meet the person in real dialogue. You're going to go a long way in at least understanding where the person's coming from and establishing something authentic with that person that will break past some of those initial 
dividing aspects of you know as as we explore life with one another though a lot of those will naturally get disarmed if that's the posture that you're setting out in all right brandon do you have a single tangible action that we can take to maintain unity in the church well will and joe have really nailed it on the head here of be willing to listen and be willing to have a real conversation those are seriously the two biggest things that you can do i would say and i i might be speaking a little bit more specifically to one part of the listeners here but i would say get outside of your comfort zone if you've been in a certain brand of christianity for most of your life get out of your comfort zone and read something from someone else because you never know you might get a whole new perspective i'm not saying to deconstruct i'm not saying stop being a pentecostal tj i'm i'm just saying explore a little because when you limit yourself to just the methodist way just the presbyterian just the baptist you are truly missing out on some great teaching some great preachers some great theology i would not be where i am today if it wasn't for the fact that i read the bonhoeffer autobiography by eric metaxas when i got out of college that is something that has really shifted my theology and my beliefs was reading that and prior to that point i don't know if i would have even been interested in bonhoeffer because of where where I was at theologically. So that would be my next step. Explore. Go check out uh, something different. And so I would even I, say that uh, Metaxas, uh, there's some people who push back on his version of Bonhoeffer. There's a few other biographies out there of him. Like Bonhoeffer can be a, a polarizing person, but man, what a person to study and what he wrestled mm-hmm. with uh, for so long. And, and I'm not just saying that because he was Lutheran, because he definitely pushed back against Lutherans as well. Very prophetic. Um, mm-hmm. But but yeah, that's... I thought it was pretty funny you said that, Brandon, because uh, usually for this, I don't have a good answer. My practical (laughs) actions are just go live your life. But this time, I I don't want to say deconstruct, but take any part of your faith, one of your sacraments, speaking in tongues, anything, and just find out why your church treats it the way it does. Mm. Uh, For a lot, some of you, it's going to be very easy, like if you're Catholic that's going to be super easy. It'll just show up immediately when you Google it. So if you, it's going to take a little more work. <laughs> like if you're Pentecostal, <laughs> we got to find out the yeah. hard way. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, so recently this, this is kind of controversial, but I get to say this because TJ will tell me if I need to cut it out or not. And that's why editing's cool. Recently, uh, since I had to take the LSAT, I'm trying to get into law school. I had to do a lot of study on how logic works because all the questions in the LSAT are just logic questions and logic puzzles. So naturally, after taking the LSAT, I was like, well, what else am I going to use this for? Hey, why not read The Delusion of God? <laughs> by... Yeah, yeah. So I immediately picked up that book, the, the most atheist book I could find. And I'm like, I'm going to go through and figure out how many of these arguments, not whether or not they're right, but how many of them are actually logically sound or not. Most of them very much are not, if you're wondering. Uh, there that's are the few RC that I'm like, hey, life. I disagree with you, but that's a good argument. Most of them are just not good arguments. <laughs> Joe. <laughs> Real quick to piggyback off of that, when I was writing the article on uh, bear, 
basically you using largely accepted points from the atheist community to um, verify the empty tomb. I realized if you introduce logic, I'm just just flat out and out logic, not Christian logic, but logical theory to most of the popular disagreements with Jesus and the empty tomb. They don't hold water and they expose the fact that there's a heightened expectation of grandiose nature to what is needed to justify the, the, to satisfy the argument. It's, it's fascinating when you try to approach atheist work from just this very specific method of deduction. Yeah, it's uh, if you go memorize the top 10 logical fallacies of then read the God delusion by Richard Dawkins, uh, you'll just see where he uses those consistently throughout his book. But also it might cause you to deconstruct parts of your faith because a lot of the stuff that we get to in the Christian faith, you're like that. Even if it's right, sometimes we just use bad arguments. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, I think evangelicals love to use straw man arguments. It bothers me a lot. It's slippery slope is another one we like to use a lot for some reason. Yeah. You should uh, you should also learn the top ten logical fallacies if you're planning on debating with Josh because if he doesn't think you know them, he's <laughs> going to use them against you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Logical fallacies are very effective in case you're <laughs> wondering. By the way, but Josh, uh, so what would be the ramifications if you know the church did what we all said? Me? Big question. Yeah. <laughs> Um, everyone will probably reach out to Pastor Will to get his answer. So, Pastor Will, what would you? <laughs> mm. I would say, good question. Let's let's talk about that for let's sit with that for a little while. Yeah, <laughs> next time. I um yeah. In, in all seriousness, if you haven't been to a church that isn't your own denomination, please, please, please do. Even if it's not for their Sunday morning service, it is worth seeing other perspectives of this thing we call the faith. Mm -hmm. yeah, go on a Wednesday, go on a Saturday, go for the basketball game. I'm telling you, Methodist basketball and Pentecostal basketball are nothing alike. That's probably it's eye opening. Um, yeah. If, if you're <laughs> Protestant, Catholic churches have a form of mass every day. Literally just go, just go and see what it's about. Don't agree with it. Don't, you know, become Catholic if you don't want to. Just see what it's about. That That's all. That's all the challenge I want to put out there. It's right. hard to hate up close. It's hard to hate up close. Yes. That was one of the most interesting things when I went, I, I was part of a spiritual formation academy, and one of our homework assignments year one was to go, through, go to a, a service outside of our context. Um, most people picked Jewish. I picked Catholic. Um, and I remember going and we had to kind of give a recap afterwards and I'm telling the story and I'm like, oh yeah, okay. So, so we did the thing and there was a lot of rhetoric back, back and forth. And I'm like, and then they, they put out communion and I get in line and I go and everybody's like, whoa, what? I had, I had no idea. I had no idea that you wanted <laughs> to take communion. I, I, every single context I'd ever heard of communion. If you're a Christian, you take communion. I was a Christian. So that's just logically trash yeah. for me. Yeah. But yeah, no, that's for those of you that don't know, 
that's a big no-no. You're not supposed to take communion if you're not Catholic in a Catholic family. Yeah, when I went to college, I, I it was part of a Catholic group primarily because they had free food, but then because I just fell in love with the people, and um, I, I had to get into a practice of always asking, "Am I am I supposed to do this? Too? <laughs> like like am, am I allowed to do this one with you guys?" Um, <laughs> Very interesting stuff. <laughs> right. So uh, we like to start our wrap up with our God moment segment, which if you've never seen the show before, it is just we take a minute to share what God's been up to with us recently, whether it be a blessing, a challenge, a curse. What have you I always make Josh go first. It gives the rest of us plenty of time, usually to uh, find one. So, Josh, do you have a God moment for us this week? Easter just happened. And I learned Whoa. that Jesus died and came back again for my sins. That's cheating. Life-changing, guys. It was great stuff. No, um, in all seriousness, uh, during this Easter holiday, I found a book of poems. Um, I'm trying to remember the name of it. I said it on Systematic Ecology just the other day. Uh, but, Paul Pastor. That was the author. I remember yeah, that much. Yeah. Uh, and I, can't, I can't remember the name of the book. Paul Pastor. Book of Poems. It's divided up into three categories. So I read one for Friday, the Good Friday, one Saturday, and one Holy Sunday Easter. I think that's how he meant it to be because of how it's divided up. I think it was meant to be for that, but you can definitely read it any time of the year. It was one of those that even though it wasn't explicitly Christian, it was Christian. And it really put me more in tune with how God is always around me. And it was just, it was a cool blessing. It was a good time. All right. And I go next to give our esteemed guest as much time as possible. Uh, my God moment, I was late to work yesterday, which never happens. I can count on one hand the amount of times I've been late in the past year. Uh, horrible. I hate it. It's awful. It is a challenge. Uh, I woke up at 730. I'm supposed to be at work at seven. It's 30 minutes away. So that was a tough. It was a tough day. Because if I don't show up, no one else can get into the store. So everything's an hour behind. <laughs> it was a rough one. But so God got This me was a it. challenge? It was a challenge. <laughs> yeah. Physically and emotionally. <laughs> but that's all I got. Uh, so, Brandon, do you have a God moment for us this week? I was hoping I would go last. Um, oh. um, you know, we are waiting any moment now for our child to show up uh, my wife is pregnant and is due here at the end of the month and so the past couple days i have been working on we had our bridal or bridal wrong one baby shower we had our baby shower last month and so this week i've been working on writing the thank you cards to all of that we have all of the uh, cards that people have sent us up on our kitchen wall and it's just a it is a blessing to be able to look at that to look at these uh, thank you notes i'm writing and be able to uh, just reflect on all these people who care about us who care about uh, the birth of our son and just to see this community that god has brought around us brought around us to help raise our son with so right uh pro tip if you just don't write them most people will forget that they were supposed to get one. But also, if me saying that reminded anyone listening, I'm sorry, I did not send you a thank you letter for my graduation <laughs> present. <laughs> I just never got around to it. Joe, do you have a God moment for us? Yeah, um, I was able to have a really cool conversation 
with my very Baptist sister on Easter about um, discipleship and lordship and, you know, all of those those good things of sorting out uh, the the place of discipleship and how to convey the importance of establishing um, God as king in your life and things like that. And so coming from coming from her poking and prodding her context a bit, it was it was really cool to listen to. All right. Awesome. awesome. Uh Will, do you have a God moment for us? Yeah, I'm I'm gonna te- cheat TJ and say that uh Easter, man, I as a pastor looking <laughs> out in my church and congregation seeing a full church that we haven't had in a real long time because of a pandemic and seeing some folks I literally haven't seen in two years. Um was was pretty awesome. We had trumpets and handbells and choirs and and nice. uh, the lilies and it smelled like Easter and and we were there. Um, and then and then at that service was a young adult that I hadn't seen in a while and I said let's grab some coffee. And so today we were able to grab a coffee and I was able to give her permission to not feel guilty uh, for not being an overachiever in her faith. It was like, look, you know, uh, God's not going to ask you for your term paper when you get to heaven. He's going to give you a hug. So uh, don't treat your faith like it's a college course where you have a syllabus and you have to check everything off the box. Um, and so that was, I could see the 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 release and the tension kind of fall from her shoulders and face as I was giving her permission to she doesn't have to overachieve with her faith. It's, it's God's not the holy professor that's going to grade her at the end of the year. It's mainly going to give you a hug because God wants a relationship with you. And so that right. that was my God moment that that came from Easter Sunday, not seeing some for a long time that leads into um, having a conversation over coffee this morning. Saying Easter is fair play if you're a pastor. That's different. There you go. <laughs> Josh is not. I believe in the priesthood of all believers. I do, too. I do too. <laughs> so if you enjoyed this episode, please consider sharing it with a friend or an enemy. You always have that choice. You could also share it with a cousin. That is fair. It would really help us out, get us out there. Most effective form of growing a show. Yeah, just word of mouth. Um, all of us, everyone here, our guest included, are part of a show called Systematic Geekology. We're all co-hosts over there where we just talk about geeky things that we love, how it relates to philosophy and theology and all that stuff. Please do us a favor. Check it out. Go to systematicgeekology.org. Just give it a try, you know? And share that with a friend or an enemy or a cousin. We we, are, yeah. we approve of that, too. Actually, we exclusively want that shared with cousins. So, <laughs> Yeah, we want to keep it in the family. As much yeah. as I'll share it with my cousin. Yeah. Yeah. Too much is not good. <laughs> Right. Remember, you can leave us a five-star rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and that helps us out a whole lot. A one-star rating also helps us out a whole lot, by the way. Uh, Thank you for listening to the Whole Church Podcast. Uh, We hope you enjoyed this episode. Next week, we'll introduce what will become our patron-only Whole Church News segment, where we will discuss the news of what's going on in and around the church worldwide. And at the end of Season 1, Francis Chan will be joining us. Yeah, thank you guys for listening. Come back next week. Um, We forgot to mention in the episode, but links to Brandon and Joe's podcasts, as well as a book written by Pastor Will, will be down below in the show notes. Thank you for listening to the Whole Church Podcast. Tune back in next week when we will do news for the Whole Church. And remember, you can always sponsor the show at patreon.com forward slash the Whole Church Podcast.